We are continuing through the book of Matthew this morning, and today we're going to talk about stay awake. That means don't go to sleep during the pastor's sermon, (laughs) and also means to stay awake waiting for Jesus. So we're going to talk about this morning, but before we do, let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to gather here and to worship you. And Lord, you taught your disciples around 2,000 years ago um, these urgent and earnest truths, and you still speak today. You speak through your word, you speak through your spirit, and we need to hear, Lord, what they heard all those years ago. And it's just as important and it's just as urgent for us as it was for them. And so, Lord, help us, God, to stay awake. Help us to not be lulled to sleep by the world. Lord, help us to not get lazy. But help us to serve you as we await your return. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 24. And so, um... This passage this morning is coming on the heels of what we've been talking about. And so the past couple sermons have been a little uh, intense, a little detailed, but I've been trying to lay out my reading of Matthew 24, at least how I read it right now. Um, I'm always open to being persuaded of um, a better way, if there is a better way. Uh, but um, I still got to preach a sermon, <laughs> so I got I to gotta do the best that I can as we deal with complex passages. And what I've been arguing is that it seems to me that what Matthew, uh, what Jesus is doing is he's addressing their question about the destruction of Jerusalem. And it seems to be their assumption that the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age would be roughly simultaneous. And it seems to me that Jesus is trying to thread a, a needle of sorts. Um, he, he, he's trying to, to, to kind of just be very nuanced in his view that that the destruction of Jerusalem is very theologically significant uh, for the nation of Israel and for redemptive history. It's a very significant event, but it does not mark the end. And so you're going to see lots of things leading up to the end, and lots of things are going to happen leading up to the end, and you will be very tempted to think that it's the end when it's really not, including the destruction of Jerusalem. But when you see these things take place, you need to know that I'm near, he says, know that I'm near. And yet, at the same time he says, know that I am near, he also says that nobody knows. And so it seems to me he's trying to thread this needle of, okay, there's lots of things that's going to happen, including the destruction of Jerusalem. And when all these things begin to take place, you can know that I am near, but the exact time, nobody knows. And I think the reason for that is that he wants to give people a sense of urgency regarding his return. And that's what we're going to talk about when we talk about staying awake. And he gives us several illustrations to explain that. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about stay awake. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, to Matthew chapter 25, Verse 13, Jesus said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, 
not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your, your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant, is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will be not enough, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. For you know neither the, neither the day nor the hour. Word of God. You may be seated. We're going to talk about this text under three headings this morning. Number one, stay awake. It will surprise us. Stay awake. It will surprise us. Number two, stay awake. We must be prepared. Stay awake. We must be prepared. And number three, stay awake. The cost is too high. Stay awake. The cost is too high. First, number one, stay awake. It will surprise us. So, as I said, we're, we're closing out chapter 24. This is the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' most extended teaching on the end times. Okay, And I've said that the main thrust of Jesus' answer is concerning the timing of the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age. And I've said that it seems to me 
that he says that all these general tribulations, including the destruction of Jerusalem, wars, rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes and such, and even turmoil and betrayal within the church, will all take place within that generation, which they did, okay? And then when these things take place, they can know that he is near at the very gates. While at the same time, he can say, but of the exact time of the day or hour, no one knows. I do think... This passage, when he says no one knows, is, an, is further evidence of my reading of the passage. Because if, like some read it, um, he says, in, for example, in verse 29 there of Matthew 24, it says, Immediately after the tribulations in those days, the sun will be darkened, and so on. And Jesus returns then. If in some sense, Jesus was saying that his return was going to be immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem, right? It would be strange that he would later say... Well, then at the exact time, no one knows, right? Because at that point, we would know. It would come at the destruction of Jerusalem. But Jesus said we, we wouldn't know. So I, I do think Jesus has some indefinite time between the destruction of Jerusalem and, uh, and, his, and his coming in which all these different things would take place. And indeed, they have taken place over and over again. Okay, so the exact time, and this is very important for Jesus, the time of his return, that, that day or hour, he says, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, that's very fascinating and, um, and is uh, remarkable evidence of the truthfulness of this statement, really, because Christians really wouldn't make up this statement because we believe that, we believe that Jesus is God. And so it would be weird for Christians to say, well, Jesus didn't know something. But here, Jesus said that he didn't know something. So how do we reconcile that as Christians? Well, uh, the way that it has historically been understood, uh, that's important for you to know and recognize if you're not super familiar with it, and that is that uh, the, the, the Christians have hammered out over the years that Jesus had two, has two natures, a, a human nature and a divine nature. Okay, so Jesus is both God and man. We know, and, and so we must insist on that. We, Jesus, as God the Son, in his divine nature, we can say, has all knowledge because he is very God of very God. And yet, at the same time, Jesus, in his human nature, endured the same limitations as we did. Uh, the author of Hebrews says he was like us, and he was like us in every way except without sin, right? And so it's the fact that Jesus had both a divine and a human nature that helps us, I think, untangle this issue about how Jesus could not, uh, not know the time of his own return. He, in his human nature, he didn't know. But what is remarkable about this passage to me is the fact that Jesus would say he didn't know the time of his return, and then the remarkable number of people without history who said that they did. <laughs> and so it's like, do you really presume to know something that Jesus didn't know? Seems extremely arrogant to me. We can never presume that we know the time of Jesus' coming. Could be today. Never know. Could be today. We just don't know. The angels of heaven and even the Son, only the Father, he says. Okay? But one of the implications that we see from this passage of the fact that we don't know is that when it does happen, it will surprise us. Right? When something happens that you didn't know was going to happen, it surprises you. And that's, that's huge. And he says, he says that it will be like the days of Noah. 
and we've talked about Noah a lot already, but he's just, uh, it seems quite clear to me that the story of Noah, which I believe to be a 100% true story, is a, is a picture, is a type, a, a forward-looking image of the, of the final judgment, right? So in other words, God has already done this once already. The earth was corrupt and wicked in rebellion against him, and so he wiped it out. Now we know he won't do the same with a flood again because he promised that would never happen. And he told Noah that from now on there'll be the times and the seasons. And, and I take that, the Noahic covenant, the Noahic promise to mean that, that God's going to give an extended time of patience before he does anything cataclysmic like that again. And Peter says that the second judgment, the first judgment came by flood, the second judgment will come by fire. But, but it's, the, it's, it's the analogy, it's the picture that the Bible gives us of what God's judgment is like. And that is in the days of Noah. What were they doing, Jesus says, in the days of Noah? They were living their life like normal. They were waking up. They were going to work, getting home, playing with their kids, getting married. It was just like normal. Everybody doing whatever they wanted to do. It's really a lot like today. Think about it. In fact, it's hardly different at all. And here you have one man who remembers God. That's amazing. One man who fears God. And at God's command, he builds this gigantic boat. And as I've said before, it's, you know, it's almost... It was almost certainly just out there. It probably wasn't near a body of water. A huge boat, right? You, if you've ever seen pictures or been to the, um, the ark uh, encounter, it's huge, massive boat. Okay? So he's just chilling, him and his family, this gigantic boat. And you can imagine people. I mean, you just imagine what people were saying to old Noah. Crazy old Noah. Crazy old Noah. I mean, I mean, no, okay. Seriously, though, think about it. Put yourself in those people's shoes. This man is building a gigantic boat in the middle of nowhere and says a flood is going to wipe everyone off the earth. You'd be tempted to think, man, old man, no, it's a little crazy. Oh, a cataclysmic flood is going to wipe everybody off the face of the earth, and you're sitting here by a gigantic boat. Obviously, you really believe it, but it sounds kind of crazy to me. It really does. Literally insane. Sounds literally insane. Until the rain starts falling. And he says, Jesus says that Noah's days, that the days of his coming are going to be like the days of Noah. Eating, drinking, going to... Zaxby's, going to Six Flags over Eastman, Burger King, (laughs) going to birthday parties, Walmart, taking a vacation, going to work, playing with my kids, playing with my grandkids, paying taxes, getting lied to by the news. Everything is normal. Everything going on is normal. And people say, 
Don't listen to them crazy Christians. Because you know what them crazy Christians believe? No, it's not even a flood. It's crazier than that. They think the sky's going to split open and a man's going to appear and just start coming down out of the sky. Literally insane. Until the trumpet sounds. It's just like the days of Noah. It's exactly like the days of Noah. Literally insane. Until the trumpet sounds. And if you're shut in Christ and hid in Christ and surrounded by and washed in his blood, you're safe. But if you haven't taken and accepted God's provision of deliverance, you'll be swept away. And it'll be too late. Too late. Jesus said, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. You don't expect it. You, you, you can't expect it. You won't, you won't know. So this begs the question then. What is the only way to be ready for something that could happen at any time, but you have no idea when it's going to happen? What's the only way to be ready for something like that? You have to always be ready. That's the only way. You have to always expect it. You have to always think today could be the day. That's the only way to be ready for something that you don't know when it's going to happen, but could happen at any moment. And so Jesus is telling the church, and and it has stood for 2,000 years that the church in every generation has to be ready because we never know. You say, well, 2,000 years is a long time. Yes. But guess what? We're 2,000 years closer to his coming than we were. So that's not, that's not, that doesn't mean we should, if we're 2,000 years closer, that doesn't mean we should start slacking off. We should start getting more ready because we're closer than we've ever been to Jesus coming back. You know, we live in some strange days today. I think we have to acknowledge as modern day Americans, you know, if you think about it, and I've said this before, but from just a, from a strictly humanist perspective, if you were born and you live in the United States of America in the 20th, 20th and 21st century, you hit the cosmic lottery because you live, you have, you have had access to the, to the most wealthiest, comfortable, secure nation that has probably ever existed in the history of the world. So you really did. You, you, you're unbelievably blessed to live in the United States of America in the past 100 years or so. Not that America doesn't have its problems, but still, comparatively speaking. Okay? Now, we see that there's political turbulence today with big waves on the horizon, if you're paying attention. But at the same time, most of us, we wake up, We live our life, we go to bed, and we hit the repeat button. But we must never forget, and this is what what Jesus is saying, we must never forget 
that this is our Father's world. That the story, you see, if all you did is watch the news, you get your story wrong. The story being played out in the world today is not the story of America. It's not the story of capitalism or socialism or communism or any other ism. The story being played out in the world today is the story of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all, to the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. A climactic worldwide event is coming. It's not social It's not cultural, it's not racial, it's not political, it's spiritual. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. The question is, when it happens, will you be surprised? Or will you be ready because you were expecting it? That's the question. So we must stay awake. So number one, stay awake. It will surprise us. Number two, stay awake. We must be prepared. We must be prepared. So we're looking at these, looking now at these two parables from uh, chapter 24, verse 45 through through 2513, these two different parables, but I've grouped them together because they say basically the same point. In verse 45 and following, it talks about, it says, it talks about the faithful and wise servant that the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. It says, blessed is the servant uh, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked, if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drinks with the drunkards. The master will come on a day he does not expect him in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then similarly in the, the parable of the virgins, it says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. The wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Midnight cry. Y'all like that song. Midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said, give us some of yours because our lamps are going out. But the wife said, since there won't be enough for us and for you, go and buy for yourselves. And it says, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Sound familiar? We must stay awake by being prepared. In the first parable, the, the uh, Christians are likened to servants. So this is... Hugely common image in the Bible. I think it's one of the most appropriate images in the Bible. The, um, you know, the word is uh, closer almost really to what we would think of as slave. Um, if that bothers you, then we need to revisit our relationship with God. 
God owes nothing to us, but we owe everything to Him. He has blessed us beyond belief, and He has entrusted to us His property. And we are stewards of that property. So it doesn't belong to us. We really are servants, right? We really are slaves in that sense. He is the Master, He is the Lord. He entrusts His stuff with us, and He expects us to be busy about His business. But we are accountable to Him to what we do with his stuff, right? And so in this parable of the servants there, there's a, there's a contrast being made. There's, there's the faithful and wise servant, and then there's the one called the wicked servant, right? And so both are given a charge, right? Both are, get, both are given a stewardship. But to, to both, the master says, here's, here's your job. I put you, I put you in charge over this amount, you know, uh, over my household, right? That's a lot of property there. You're in charge. You're the boss while I'm gone. You fulfill this, your responsibility. You feed the other servants. You take care of them. You make sure my business is taken care of. It's all in your hands, but you're accountable for it. Go be faithful. And the faithful and wise servant fulfills his job well, takes care of the business the Lord sent him to. He does it wisely. And everything that that servant does, he's serving the, the master's interests, the master's purposes. So that when the master comes back, he can say, look, master, look, I took all that you gave me and entrusted to me and look what it's produced and it's all belongs to you. And Jesus says to that servant, he will say, well done. And he will, it says he will, he says, truly, I will say to you, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now that's remarkable, isn't it? Because the consistent story of the Bible, though, we don't often think about it is that God told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth. We were made to rule the world for God, but we failed in our sin. Jesus came back to restore the purpose for which we were made, and if we serve him faithfully, he'll set us back over the world. It belongs to him, but he says, look, in Revelation, I believe, Jesus says, just as I sit on my throne with my Father, I will cause you, I will put you to sit on my throne with me. That's astounding. That will literally write. Paul says, don't you know that you'll judge angels? We're called to such a high calling as Christians. And if we're faithful in the little bit, God's going to take us and set us over the world. And that's literally what he says here. That's the calling as Christians. It's not like there's no reward. God is watching. God is faithful. God sees what's going on. For serving the master's business. And he'll set that faithful servant over all his household. But what about the wicked servant? It says, the wicked servant does what? Well, the wicked servant says, well, boss isn't here. So I'm going to do what I want to do. And he begins to do what? Well, he, he puts himself first. He meets, mistreats the other servants. He wastes the master's possessions on himself. And he thinks everything's okay. Till there's a knock on the door. Till the master shows up when he least expected it. And you see, the parable of the virgin is virgins is telling the same story there. Um, uh, it seems that in ancient Jewish weddings, the groom would make everything ready, right? Prepare a place, kind of like Jesus said, get everything ready, and then would go to get the bride, right? And go to her, her uh, house and, and there would be a grand procession, a wedding procession from the bride's house back to the groom's house where they will live. And 
And um and I mean and and it's not that hard to imagine. I mean when when everything get, the groom's ready, so when everything gets ready, he's not waiting. <laughs> okay, he's going. Doesn't matter what time it is, right? He's going to get his bride. He's going to take her back. They're gonna they're gonna celebrate. They're gonna celebrate. And of course, we know that the image of a wedding is is consistent image in in the Bible of God's people's relationship to to Him. Now. In this parable, we have these virgins, and they're waiting to join the procession. But, of course, they don't, they don't know. You know, they might, hear, they might hear, okay, everything's almost ready. And that's kind of the image that Jesus has given, right? Jesus, he's, he's saying when you see all these things, you can know everything's almost ready. But the exact time, you don't know. Maybe they've heard, okay, everything's almost ready, so they're waiting. But they don't know exactly when it's going to happen. And then there was a delay. There was a delay. The wise virgins anticipated the delay. And were prepared for it. They anticipated the delay and they were prepared for it. They brought extra oil for their lamp. So when the time came, they were ready. They were prepared. The foolish did not prepare. They weren't ready for the delay. And so when the delay happened and then the bridegroom actually shows up, they, they weren't able to join the procession. And when they do show up, the groom says, who are you? That's, it's, it's almost the exact same language that Jesus uses in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, right? Where he says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only him who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? And people say, I did this, I did that, and, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so it's the same it's the same image, the same imagery. The lesson is for us to be prepared, to be ready, to be like the wise and faithful servant, not the foolish one. God has left each of us a job to do. So that's the question that I want to ask you, and that's the question I want you to ask yourself. What job has God left you to do? I mean, I'm preaching to myself here too, but I seriously want you to ask you this question. Because God has left each of us a job to do. We might not always think about it in those terms, but let me tell you something. The job that God has left you to do is more important than the job your employer wants you to do. I'm not saying they're opposed to one another necessarily, but I'm just saying is what, what are the terms in which we think about our lives? Are we thinking about our lives more in terms of, you know, my earthly employment or in terms of my heavenly employment? What is the job that God has left you to do? And are you doing it? What, is, what, what purpose, what stewardship has God entrusted to you to do, to be about his business so that when he comes back, you can say, Lord, I figured out what it was that you wanted me to do and I've been doing it, waiting for you to get back. Are you doing it? What is that thing? And, I'm, and I'm, I'm asking you that not just because I'm behind the pulpit. I'm, I'm asking you that because I want you to think about it. Because Jesus is going to come back. And, and, and we don't want to be there standing speechless when he says, what you been doing? What you been doing? With what I gave to you. We don't want to be... Like these, we don't want to be like the foolish virgins who weren't who weren't ready. 
and we get caught without any oil. The lesson is to be prepared. He's given us, now he's calling us all to different things, but he's given everybody something to do for his business, for his kingdom. And he's entrusted to us different things so that we can fulfill the job he gave to us, right? So my job might be your job, might not be your job, your job might not be my job, but he's given you a job, he's given me a job, and he's given both of us everything we need to do that job. And the question is, are we going to do it or are we going to take the master's time, the master's possessions, the master's goods and waste them on ourselves? And so we have to ask this question and it's painful sometimes to ask these questions and it's easy to walk out the door at one o'clock whenever I finish this sermon (laughs) and uh, it's easy to walk out the door And not think about it. Why? Because for some reason, don't ask me why, but for some reason, it's the most important things in life that we don't want to think about. So we walk out the door and we forget it. When God wants to say, hey, I'm talking to you. What's that thing that I called you to do? Are you doing it? If Jesus came back today, how would it go for you? It's cause, it's, it's just, a, it's a, we need moments in our life where we just hit the pause button and reflect, what am I doing? What am I doing? And we need these moments, and these moments are gifts from God, because we all, from time to time, we can easily, it's so easy to, drift, to just drift away, degree by degree. Until one day you wake up, and you realize you're, you're a lot farther from shore than you ever thought. So these moments are gifts from the Lord. Let's not waste them. Think about what God is calling us to do. We need to be prepared and we need to plan for the delay so that we're ready when He comes. And if you've ever read anything about waiting on God, they all say the same thing because it's true. And that is that waiting, as we wait for Jesus, waiting is an active thing. It's never passive, right? We're not waiting on Jesus twiddling our thumbs, right? Because what did Jesus say would be the sign of the end of the age? That the gospel of the kingdom would go as a testimony to all nations and then the end would come. So we have a mission, right? We have a mission. What's the mission? What's the job that God has left us to do? All of our calling should in some way fit within this mission of God and that is to make disciples of all nations. And that starts right here in Dodge County. It might start in your, it might start in your household with your kids or your grandkids. And then it might spread out to your neighbors and to your coworkers and things like that. And it spreads out to the county and to the state and to the world. But that's the mission. That's what Jesus left us to do. And it, it, what God has called us to do is going to be part of that in some way. But we can never just be passive. We have to be active. The number one way to wait on Jesus is to be busy about Jesus' business. Right? If you're doing that, you don't have anything to fear, right? You never have to worry about the boss walking in your office if you're always doing what he's telling you to do. I read a story one time. It kind of blew my mind. Um, it was a... It was a a mother-in-law 
who was a godly, godly woman, and the family um, invited her to a movie one time. And I'm not saying movies are bad, but just just listen to the story. They invited her to a movie one time, and she said, nah, I'm not going to go. And they kind of pressed her on it. She's like, no, 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 I, I don't want to go. And they finally, they kept pressing her and pressing her, why don't you want to go to a movie? Why don't you want to go to a movie? And finally she said, she said, I don't think I want to be in that movie I don't think I'd want to be in that movie if Jesus came back while I was there. That was the way she lived her life. I don't want to go there because what if Jesus came back while I was there? I wouldn't want to be there. I'd rather be doing something else. Talking with somebody, helping somebody, praying for somebody. Stay awake. We must be prepared. Finally, number three, stay awake. The cost is too high. Stay awake. The cost is too high. It says that the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces. And put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in the parable of the virgin it says, The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So as we've said, the return of Jesus will be the most cataclysmic event to ever occur in human history. This is pretty remarkable there's lots of different opinions about Jesus today. Some, some people think he's just another religious leader. To some people, he's a, a prophet. To some, he's little more than a guru or an ethics teacher. Uh, to some people, he's just a guy who shared some ideas about how the world could be a little bit better and nicer place. But if you're going to take the Bible seriously at all, we have to reckon with the fact that what the Bible says about Jesus is that he is the son of God. He is the king of the cosmos. He is the Lord and ruler of humanity and history. He is the one through whom, for whom, and by whom all things exist. And that all history hinges on the man Jesus Christ. That's a much loftier claim than being a guru or an ethics teacher. And we have to reckon with that. If the Bible is correct, then Jesus is the greatest being that there is. And he came as gentle, meek, and mild, and he made himself nothing, Paul said, taking the form of a servant. A bruised reed he would not break, a smoldering wick he would not quench. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. The most remarkable person who ever lived. 
But that was just the beginning. The story's not over. By coming the way he did, he showed how great and remarkable that he was. Glorious and honorable that he is. And the more great, the the greater and more honorable and more glorious the thing is, the greater sin and evil it is to reject it and to despise it. Which is why the since Jesus is the greatest being that there is, then there is no evil greater than rejecting him. And he, he does and has shown great mercy up until this very day to sinners like you and me. Mercy purchased at the cost of his own blood. But if he already is the greatest being who ever lived, if we already owe everything to him and are justly under his wrath and condemnation, if that's already true, and then he comes and shows us mercy, despite all that we've done, if we then go on and reject not just who he is, but also reject his mercy, then there's no hope. There's nothing left that he can do except give us what we deserve. Christ's return will turn the world inside out and upside down. Think about the image. It sounds so it sounds so unbelievable to us, but Jesus is putting it in these terms because he doesn't want us he doesn't want us to toy around with what it would be like. He What kind of image, what kind of man would use this image? He will cut him in pieces? You say, well, Pastor, that's just a story. Well, that's just an image. That's just just an analogy. And I just want to say, an analogy for what? Six flags? This is what John saw in his vision. He says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. How can you escape? There was a way of escape in the days of Noah. It was the ark. There is a way of escape in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's called the cross. Jesus has made a way of escape. 
there is a way to make peace with God now so that you can be spared then. And that is to lay down your arms against Him today. He accepts everyone who comes to Him in humility and submission and trust and faith. He will by no means turn away anyone who calls on Him. The tax collector considered the, the, the scum of the earth in Jesus' day, in Jesus' story. He lifts up his hands to heaven, uh, but his head is down, but just he cries out, not, doesn't even consider himself worthy to look into heaven. And he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man will walk away justified before God, made right with God. Because he deserves it? No, but because God is merciful to those who call on him. But there will be no escape for those who reject his mercy. Jesus is coming back and the cost is just too high to not be ready. And so this is the this is the warning that that Jesus gives. You know, I'm not this is not just a pastor trying to scare you. This is Jesus. These are Jesus's own words. And frankly, I think Jesus, if you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I think Jesus would want you to be scared. You don't want to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. It's worse than you could possibly imagine, and it lasts longer than you can fathom. Jesus is telling us the truth. Not to offend us, but because it's the truth, whether we like it or not. There is one way of escape, and it's one way more than we deserve. And it's Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is a good king. He's a gracious king. He's a merciful king. But we can never forget that he's still a king. In that place, Jesus said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But if you turn to Jesus today, if you turn from your sins today, if you call on him by faith and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, Jesus is alive right now. He's at the right hand of God the Father sitting on the throne right now. If you call on Him, He can hear you. And He will hear your voice and He will recognize your voice. And guess what? You can begin a relationship with Jesus where you know Him and He knows you and He speaks to you through His Word and through His Spirit and through fellow believers and you grow in your relationship with Him and you become closer and closer so that guess what? When that day comes and He comes knocking on the door and He hears your voice, He says, He'll say, I know you. You're my dear friend. We've walked together a long time. Come on in. But you don't want to hear him say, Who are you? Who are you? Today's the day of salvation. You can turn to the Lord and be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have made a way when there was no way, God. A way that we don't deserve. Thank you, God, thank you. Thank you that there is a way of escape. 
And I pray, God, that everyone, Lord, listening to the sound of my voice right now will know that they know that they know that they know you and you know them and escape the wrath that is to come. Lord Jesus, we need help. We confess today that we haven't been as wise and as faithful as we would like to be. We confess today, God, that at times we have gotten lazy and have not stayed awake as we ought to. I pray, God, that you would wake us up today. Fix our eyes afresh on you. Help us today to remember the urgency that today might be the day that you come back for us. God, help us to be ready and waiting for you. Lord Jesus, you are king. There is none like you. And we worship you today. May you receive honor and glory and praise in all things.